good morning and welcome to the Emerging Tech Series on the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Savage. This is the podcast where we bring together technologists from the world of InsureTech to generate insights around the rapidly evolving innovation and digital transformation across the insurance industry. Today, I'm very lucky to be joined by co-founder and CTO, Dan. Dan, welcome. How are you? Very good. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for coming on after you know months of this going back and forth. And um, I thought we'd just start off um, by allowing you to yeah just introduce yourself properly and who you work for. Sure. So I'm Dan Green. I'm one of the founders and the CTO of Fay Travel Insurance. Uh, we are helping travelers right now, uh, U.S. citizens and residents only, uh, but coming soon to a town near you, mm-hmm. buy travel insurance and travel protection that is easy to understand, delightful to buy, straightforward to make a claim. In fact, most of the time without any paperwork, uh, fast to get paid for all the approved claims. We're really just trying to take a product um, that that might have once been considered a nice to have uh, pre-COVID, but I think everyone understands between travel meltdowns and weather changes and COVID, it's a must have product. So making it as easy and as pleasant to buy and use as possible is really important. Nice. Love it. Yeah, definitely speaks to me so much so that I just don't get travel insurance when I go on holiday now because it's that much of a, <laughs> so it can be a bit of a bollock. But, um, but the entire Faye product is from my side, you know, we had a chance to meet in an ITC DI in Barcelona last week. So that would have been a really good session to record or maybe not but um you know we kind of got into it around how the entire fee product is is effectively kind of modeled around you as a, as a human you know being such a avid traveler uh, almost a kind of ode to your experience as a traveler and and a driving force in creating the products that can provide this type of coverage like i guess could you tell us a little bit or give us that context around what inspired you to create and, and what impact you're looking to make specifically in the, the travel insurance space? Sure. So, so the founders of Faye have been uh, working together now for about 13 years. So my CEO and I have been together for about 13 years, um, building companies together, which is a really nice way to start any company with such a strong relationship. Uh, and our previous company, which we really built before uh, the pandemic made uh, Zoom and, and Google Meet and Teams ubiquitous. And so we had a lot of meetings in a lot of different countries for us and all of our staff. And we, we somehow built effectively a, a travel agency that did, uh, that did crowdsourcing and built uh, technology platforms on the side. That, that's really how it felt. And in the constant traveling that, that we and our staff were doing, we really understood how the smallest thing going wrong could really feel magnified. And, and sometimes just missing a connection or your bags not showing up were damaging to a meeting. And sometimes it was actually emotionally a terrible experience. Uh, everyone likes to see travel as the hero's journey and, and they're kind of the hero, uh, as, a, as a comedian used to say, you're, you're sitting on a chair in the sky, you're almost the literal definition of a, of a Greek god. Um, <laughs> and so often getting out of a jam was just about knowing how the system worked, knowing who to talk to, knowing where to look for information on alternate flights, um, knowing what the rules were for filing a claim or telling the airline about your lost baggage. Uh, and I really 
built this encyclopedic knowledge of what to do when things went wrong. So much so that, that everyone in the staff would just call me for advice rather than speak to the airline first. Um, and so when we started building Faye, we actually built it originally as a AI powered travel assistant just before the pandemic started. I mean, we launched it in late 2019 uh, without the protection component, without the, without the insurance component. And uh, obviously COVID happened. It definitely threw a spanner in the works for everything we were building. But time and time again, uh, people would use our service. They'd reach out to us afterwards. And, and when we'd ask them for feedback, they'd say, this was a really amazing experience. It was, it was brilliant that you were able to tell me exactly uh, what to do or where to go or how to navigate this difficult situation. But I really wish you could have just fixed it for me or paid for the solution as well. And that was really the evolution into travel protection and travel insurance. Um, and, and I realized that some of some of the philosophy is is built around what used to happen when you'd call me in the middle of the night but but really our, our fundamental philosophy is when something goes wrong you need solutions far more than you need money i mean if you've just missed your connecting flight to boston and you're at london if i gave you a choice between 500 pounds to get on an alternate flight to get home or a thousand pounds or i could just get you on a flight leaving an hour from now but i would I'm never going to tell you the cost. But what do you care? You just want to go home. So we, we really built the company around this idea that when things go wrong, if we can solve the problem for you, we'll do that over giving you just financial remuneration. And if we can't solve the problem for you, then we'll at least do our best to make you whole. Mm. And it just seems like it's, it's something that should have been prevalent in the space for a long time. I mean, I draw on my own experiences when I when I travelled to Thailand, and I think I lost a bag for about over a month, you know. And the and the insurance that I was with, I think it was STA Travel that were that were doing it. You know, like this went on for months and months. I never got a solution. I never got money, but I had guys looking into it for me. But like, that's what I'm saying. That's why I just don't buy it because I think I had such an awful experience of it that I'm kind of like a bit scarred by the, the whole the whole episode. But like what you're talking about just seems very simplistic. You look to provide a solution or cover the costs. Like where are the gaps for you in travel insurance and, and why do we still not quite have that, you know, holistic, simple, responsive coverage? So I think part of the problem has always been how travel insurance has been sold, which is uh, more often than not, it's a checkbox at the end of the purchase flow when you're buying uh, airline tickets or, or rail tickets and the like. And, and the provider just wants you to sort of say yes or no, get the money, not get the money and move on. There's, there's no customization to your needs. There's no really thinking about uh, what's best for you as the traveler. There's the there's the company that they have a deal with, there's the product that they have built for you, and they're just hoping that you tick the box and they will take the money, keep some of it for commission, uh, give you yeah. the product, and then they they wash their hands of you effectively, and you are, if you have, unfortunately, a claim, you're someone else's problem. Um, so there's a total disconnect between who's selling you the policy and who you need to talk to if something goes wrong. Uh, and I think a lot of those legacy providers they, they really have a lot of manual processes. They're really hoping to solve these problems by, by throwing humans at it, looking at the forms. That's why they're trying to always get you to complete forms in the same format so it's easier for people to go through. 
and we have the advantage that we're we started from scratch in in really 2019 2020 we built our systems from scratch we were actually able to start with technology and not rely on an army of humans to read through things so we can still provide the human touch but we don't need to ask you to wait 30 days just till someone will be available to even read the paperwork you sent us in the first place and, and when you buy from us we can sell you the product we think you need that will give you the coverage so when you went to thailand it's possible that someone presented you with either zero options in which case you bought the wrong thing or they presented you with 200 options and at some point it was really tempting to say five dollars by just unchecking one of those boxes except that one thing you unchecked to save five dollars was the baggage coverage you really really would have needed when you got there so that's why we've tried to simplify the process and use technology so that you can actually have a delightful experience in trip and not suffer when you get home mm. and and do you find that the more that you navigate through the travel insurance sector do you find that you'll be working with you know large incumbents to maybe you know, further digitize and, and speed up there, you know, for example, like Zurich or Axe, do you see that? Do you see your guys as being somewhat of a bit of a pioneer into what you're doing? Or do you just think that there's always going to be that type of insurance there? Firstly, I think travel insurance as an industry is huge and there's more than enough space for all of us to work together. I think a lot of the time uh, we're not even taking customers away from legacy providers where we're meeting customers who are interested in buying travel insurance for the very first time or they're meeting us and they've always been on the fence about buying travel insurance and now they've decided to buy so i don't think it's a zero-sum game i think there's space for all of us for all of us to play together and i don't think the airlines are going to stop offering travel insurance anytime soon so i think we'll all exist together and i think ultimately it's good that consumers have choice i don't imagine us wanting to power the the systems of legacy providers i think it's really i think it's really important to us that we built our own thing and that we built it from the ground up and that we offer it packaged as fay we're not planning to white label and kind of secretly be the provider we're really mm. proud of our brand we're really proud of our name we're really proud of what we're doing for our customers every day and we want people to know um, that fay is their travel protection provider and that's who they're that's who they're working with yeah yeah and i think you know talking about you know what you envision and where you see it going like you raised if i'm not near source of correct you raised 10 million series a very recently um everyone knows you know i touch on this a lot in the podcast with you know the guests we have on around the last 12 to 18 months and, and what that funding landscape looked like super tough and 2022 okay it was wasn't as tough maybe i feel like this year it has been very difficult you know how how was that experience for you guys and in, in, the, in the market this year going through that that type of raise so i think we had uh one really strong advantage up our sleeves which we we raised our seed round uh before things got really crazy so it wasn't like we had uh some sort of a crazy valuation that we were never going to be able to live up to because we raised at the absolute peak of, of the uh, 2021 market. Uh, and now we were sort of turning around again and everyone was trying to compare us in, in different economic climate. So I think that that really helped. Um, we had a reasonable valuation before, 
we were looking for a reasonable valuation now i think i think that alone really really helps the conversation and then i think ultimately what it came down to um both for our existing investors which basically all asked and and, and most participated uh, in in the series a was everything we told them that we would do by the time we raised our series a we had done i mean we had cleared the entire list in roughly the time frame we told them we would do it at either the level or better than we had told everyone that we were going to achieve things and that really changes the conversation especially for investors that you might have met one or two years ago you spoke about the plan they said to get in touch when it was time to do your, your series a and now you're meeting them again and they're saying wow, you actually did not everything you're telling me now that you said you would do two years ago. You've actually done everything that you told me you were going to do when you met. Doesn't <laughs> change the fact. <laughs> difficult environment um, that, that you need to have, uh, you need to have a lot of meetings to, to find the true believers, but it, we really were uh, buoyed by the fact that all of our existing investors have been very good to us. Um, we have great relationships with them. They were very, very keen uh, to, to participate, to continue to be a part of the story. And just starting from that position made everything easier. Mm, you say a lot of meetings. I mean, I wonder how many meetings you actually did have or how many no's that you had before you got to the yeses. Probably more no's, uh, I would imagine. I mean, it's really hard. It's just a it's just a different environment than it is, um, and, mm. and you don't necessarily get no's. You often get you know we'll think about it or we'll talk about it or or different terms. But to be honest, yeah. I have I have the big advantage in that uh, I'm the CTO and and not the CEO. And and a lot is very good at navigating that world um, and has always been very good at navigating that world. And I think there's a good reason why we agreed right from the outset that. A lot is a lot is excellent at business, but probably not the world's greatest programmer. I'm great at programming. We'll we'll split the tasks accordingly, and we'll we'll go from there. <laughs> but it's interesting the journey that the CTO goes on with the CEO because obviously elements where you have to come on to these these conversations and you have to be very front and center to a degree. But as you say, when it really gets down to it. You know, you probably step back and get back to the day job in terms of coding and building the, the platform. But um, I guess reflecting on the year where we're at just now, you know, amazingly, we're, we're now into half two. Can't believe it. But um, how has the growth been since then for, for you guys? I mean, I think it's been quite a quite an accelerated growth, certainly from 2019, from when you were founded to now. Like, how has the growth been, you know, challenges you know wins and, and and what's next you know what's what do you envision for the next two years so we've been lucky growth has been steady since the beginning for us um uh, every month has been better than the last month although uh, obviously you would hope that a new entrant into the insurance space that is doing something significantly better than the competition would would see growth increase every month so i don't think that the the sales market for travel insurance is, is particularly difficult right now. Um, mm. Post-pandemic, you had a, a period of revenge travel. We can debate whether or not that that period has come to an end, but I think there is just no doubt that we still live in a day and an age where even if business travel uh, has come down, and I'm not, I'm not so sure it has, but even if it has, people are traveling for leisure and they see it uh, 
almost as a right sometimes they see it as part of uh well-being part of of kind of mental health it's it's something that they feel like was taken away from them once and can't be taken away from them again so i just can't imagine a world where the number of people traveling um slows down anytime soon and that creates an amazing opportunity for us mm. i don't think business travels went down for you <laughs> uh, no nor nor a lot of people i speak with so i, no. I know i know the statistics say it didn't recover as fast as leisure travel but i'm telling you mate every plane i get on is pretty full yeah i mean i think you know alex the founder of us he's been away 11 times this year already you know and um and yeah, not not quite as lucky, but um, I do agree. You know, that's I, I see I seen that slowdown, that reluctance to travel for a good twelve months or so, maybe longer after COVID. But it feels like it almost is not a thing at all now, which is obviously great for you guys um, and, and the industry. So I mean, kind of moving on to I guess building that the type of product that you guys have built and what. I think what I regard building an insurance product and, and a pretty old school, you kind of touched on at the beginning, you know, very paper driven, non-digital world, you've implemented AI, you've really balanced that team culture within tech teams and insurance. And, and one thing that stood out to me is that your culture is impressively kind of 60% skewed more to women. Um, so that's really stood out to me also that your head of engineering is female and manages an entire team of, of men um really interesting blend and and you know credit to to how you guys hire and how you guys you know put the thought into making that diverse team what's been your experience of of building this culture and, and what's the secret you know because we just don't see enough of it so i mean i think we're very lucky in that a lot of this happened organically um uh, even if subconsciously this was something that we we hoped to achieve, it wasn't like we were selecting individuals based on that criteria. I think that we were lucky enough um, to navigate this way. And I suspect that uh, the more diverse a workforce is in general, the more attractive it probably is to new to new potential candidates, saying, okay, there's a mixture of, of men and women, there's a mixture of... Uh, people from different countries and cultures and that that really does that really does help in the hiring process um i think generally people in this company uh, really love travel or to some extent can even be obsessed by travel and, and you know that going in i mean you're not going to work for a travel insurance company if you hate travel if you hate the idea of getting on a plane i think that's that kind of comes with the territory so there's probably some self-selection that comes really from the get-go that uh, people who apply to work here have some sort of adventurous spirit they like travel it's it's part of their own dna uh, and i'm sure that that comes in and then we we really try very hard to look for people that are a good cultural fit for the company i think when it comes to um, pure technology skills for example it, it's much easier to it's much easier to find someone with the right cultural fit attitude spirit whatever term you want to use and help them become a better developer a better engineer than it is to find an amazing engineer who's a terrible culture fit and think that somehow you can change their personality uh, and i'm sure that's applied throughout other departments as well try and find good people who have the right skills um but but never let go of how culture is important and then uh, you end up with a company of people that you want to work with
Yeah. I mean, I'll just have to be careful and ask this because the, the approach to the skill sets and abilities is, is definitely non-gender specifically. I get that. But when it comes down to engineering, it comes down to, you know, analytical thinking, you know, analyzing complex writing code with meticulous attention to detail, being very collaborative and, you know, having that real creativity spark. That's something that we're seeing a lot of in as more and more women come into the sector, like why why do you think we do have such a, a lack of diversity, particularly within engineering and also to go one step further within engineering leadership? So I think it's probably less and less the case now. And there's, I would assume there's historical trends that I'm entirely ignorant to. We do have we do have an advantage here that uh, our our engineering and R and D teams uh, are in a few locations, but one of the key ones is Tel Aviv. Um, mm. and there is a there is a lot of diversity in the labour market here in general. It's probably a function mm. of of compulsory military service and and uh, any number of people serving in technological and non technological units. So I'm sure I'm sure that helps. Um, but I actually think it applies. At, at any level, I mean, not just engineering. I appreciate mm. diversity at the management level. I appreciate diversity at a board level. I appreciate diversity at a team level because different people think differently. I don't know if that's necessarily tied to gender per se. There's probably some element, but having people from different cultural backgrounds, different different genders and identities, it yeah. just gives you a more diverse range of thinking. And, and I'm sure there's a snowball effect that if you start with a diverse team, you're more likely to attract diverse talent to the team and then you can keep it that way. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting when you talk of the culture within Tel Aviv specifically, does it sound like there's a, sounds like it's very evenly weighted, Like personally for someone that's completed searches for startups that are always looking for diverse talent, particularly within engineering, you know, in the UK and the US, there's just not enough of them. You know, I think in the UK alone, there's about 5%, probably a little bit more, that are female engineering leaders. And I think that's definitely still very prevalent. So it's 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 great to hear that that's not the case in, in somewhere like Tel Aviv, which is becoming a real hub for, you know, tech innovation and, and startups. So there's a really good chance. I mean, I, I don't know the statistics, and, and I'm sure it does skew towards male engineers, at least historically. Um, I just don't think that's the case for people joining the workforce now. Mm. It doesn't yeah. feel like that's the case. Yeah, that's good. That's interesting. And we talk about, you know, culture specifically, again, with an engineering, you know, engineering for me and, and products and tech teams are, of course, often thought to be operating in, you know, parallel. My experience, particularly with engineering teams, with software engineering teams is, particularly as organization scales, that there's more of a, a disconnect between the, the teams and the business and the business goals. You know, for example, like Agile and Scrum, you know, which was uh, developed by technology-minded people, but it's kind of, I think, just taken over by business people, just as an example. You know, for you, it seems like, again, you've got that real nice blend of, of, of creating that insurance domain business um, goal achievables to what the tech team are doing. Like, 
as a CTO, where do the pain points lie for you in terms of culture within tech and engineering teams and aligning it to the business? And, and how does it happen? How does that disconnect happen? Is it something that you've experienced in, in the past? Or I mean, I've certainly experienced it at, at other companies. I, in fact, I've been guilty of it at previous companies. Um, mm. I suspect part of it is my advantage that this isn't my first company. This isn't my first entrepreneurial endeavor. So I've had the opportunity to, to previously see and learn from the mistake of not aligning engineering to the business goals. Um, we have a very strong leader in, in our CEO who is business oriented, whereas I'm tech oriented. So that, that also helps. Uh, and then we have one set of OKRs for the entire company that filters down. So we do have um, North Stars that that very much try and set out company-wide goals that every single part of the company, including engineering, can directly relate to. So that filters down. Um, and and right now, product management is, is also... Um, led by someone with a very strong grounding in, in both business and product disciplines. So even when it comes to building and prioritizing the backlog, we just always have those, those influences. Um, and I think that, that, as you said, then gets built into the culture that, that as much as um, I, I would love to be taken off the leash and allowed to, and allowed to build every single um, technological whim and innovation that uh, that we have dreamt up, experimented with, and built proof of concepts for, but we've learned the balance of getting the fundamentals right, um, and then putting and then putting time into the sprints to work on on those extra features that will pay huge dividends in the future. Will will create a lot of delight uh, for our customers. But I just understand that this insurance is insurance. You want to succeed as a business, you need to get the fundamentals right, and you need to get them very right. And, and again, just kind of leading on from what you said there, you know, you've got the CEO looks at the business, you're looking at the tech, like those fundamentals, like, do you kind of set a line in the sand or, or is, there, is, there a, is there a kind of strategy that you guys have used at Faye? Because as you say, it's not your it's not your first rodeo. So you've come into Faye, you know, very experienced and knowing what needs to happen. But I guess just on a more grand, is there any kind of advice that you would give to someone that's looking to, ensure that that culture stays remained and, and as I say, that tech and engineering don't drift apart, you know? I mean, I, I think the whole company has to be clear on the problem you're trying to solve as a company. Mm -hmm. uh, we are trying to deliver a delightful travel insurance experience that provides our customers with the level of, the level of protection that is matched to their needs and if they need to use it, we're also trying to create a very easy to use, simple experience, quick to get paid when your claims approved. I mean, we've, we've kind of agreed on what we're building as a product and as a company. Uh, yeah. And everyone in the company can articulate that. So it gets much easier to focus around the mission. And I think it's, it's really important that you, everyone gets on the same page as to what you're building and why. Uh, and then everyone understands that, uh, the ultimate aim of the business is, of course, to make enough money to sustain your operations and, and to grow the company. I mean, if, if you're building a business that you think will only live on VC funds for the entirety of its life, you, you've missed what the ultimate goal is that eventually the company um, 
explodes, thrives, has has that moment that we refer to as an exit and then takes on a life of its own where, where you trust that it will live for a hundred years, if not forever, and become kind of this intergenerational company. Um, and, and you get there by understanding that you have to succeed as a business. You can't build the world's most exciting technology and think the customers will, will come later, especially in something like insurance. Uh, technology and business have to go hand in hand from day one. Mm. Nice. I love it. I mean, it seems very organic straight from the day one. Everyone's been on the same page. It makes it more sustainable, I think, if you, if you get that right from day one. So clearly you guys have got that appreciation you know, for the differences across all the different skill sets and teams, and it's, you know, and very embedded in the in the, in the fabric of the culture. But it, so, it sounds like you've got quite a fun, I love the way you describe Faye, you know, a delightful experience. <laughs> like, it sounds like you've got a really kind of fun culture, culture of continuously learning, collaboration. Like, do you have any any nice things that you guys do to keep people motivated? You know, I've had some really good ones in the past, but you know, just things that you do to keep your, not just tech team, but I guess the overall business, you know, little things that you do that are quite fun. So, I mean, we've tried to build some of, some elements of travel into the culture. Uh, on every right. anniversary you have with the company, uh, you receive money towards a travel fund uh, that uh, increases over time. So you're actually encouraged to take leisure travel on, a, on an annual basis. Um, we're a hybrid company, so we're, we're not uh, we're not remote. We're not um, full time in the office. We're very open to to people taking periods of time where they go abroad for a couple of weeks and they do a mixture of uh, working remotely and being being part of the company. Um, we encourage people who can to travel with our products and uh, eat your own dog food, as people say. So so that's very much part of the company. We we generally. I don't know if happy hours is the solution to make things work, but we've worked very hard on everyone being in the office, um, at least on the same days when people are in the office each week, so that we're able to have a, a balance between uh, actually spending time with each other and, and being social as well as, as kind of getting the work done. I think all of that's really important. I mean, most people travel for that reason, right? It's to have experience, mm -hmm. it's to meet new people, it's to go new places. You've got to build that into your company somehow. Mm -hmm. So in short, happy hour, get everyone to the bar at the same time. <laughs> and put the bar in the office so that they don't have to, they don't have to walk oh, out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Takes it back to ITC where there's just a big huge thing that says bar in the middle of the, in the <laughs> middle of the conference. Um, I think it worked very well. Um, but look, Dan, I'm kind of conscious of your, your time. Um, but look, it's been, it's been great to have you on. Thank you for uh, giving us your time. Um, yeah, have a good rest of the day. Thanks very much, Gavin.